Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Beautiful day in the state of Mississippi that feels like early summer. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Tuesday afternoon, the second day of the month of June. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Ceasefire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With Ceasefire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more all over secure cloud-based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at cspire.com slash business. Again, that number, 601-879-4395. Welcome to the program this afternoon. Michael Borky, what's up? Oh, you know, not a whole lot. I did find a, I made a funny observation earlier. At least I think it's funny. You may not. Okay. So, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, and it's a real sports story, not just because of my rooting interest, but uh, Zion's getting sued. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, yes. By a former agent uh, who is suing him for $100 million because right. uh, he broke a contract with her uh, because she couldn't, she, she wasn't licensed in North Carolina and Florida, the predominant places where they were going to do business, and also she wasn't approved by the NBA Players Association. So she really couldn't be his uh, agent, and so they terminated their contract, but she thinks he did it illegally, and she's trying to sue him for $100 million. Well, that trial, I, I guess she's suing him, and part of the agreement is if he will... Uh, admit to taking money and stuff to go to Duke, then she'll drop the $100 million lawsuit. Well, that was uh, moved forward a little bit today where um, he is now, like, discovery is going to happen. And potentially he could take the stand and have to testify about what Duke did or did not give him. And I have seen so many people say, oh, wow, this... This means so much for Duke and Coach K. There's so much on the line because now it's all going to come out. And I just want to say, guys, do you think the kid's going to sit up there and just be like, yeah, Coach K gave me 100K, Nike gave me 100K, and all this stuff? No, he's going to sit up there and say, I don't remember, and the story's going to die. Nothing is going to happen to Duke. Nothing is going to happen to Duke. So Mark Schlabaugh wrote the story at ESPN.com. Florida State Court judge on Tuesday denied Pelicans rookie Zion Williamson's request to stay discovery into whether he was eligible under NCAA rules when he played one season at Duke. The 11th Circuit Court judge in Florida 
David Miller ruled that Williamson will be required to answer interrogatories and request for admissions from attorneys representing Gina Ford and Prime Sports Marketing, who are suing Williamson for $100 million for breaching their marketing agreement. Williamson's attorneys are expected to appeal. His attorneys have asked a federal judge in that case to void his marketing agreement with uh, a judge in North Carolina to void his marketing agreement with Ford and Prime Sports Marketing, claiming, that it wasn't, uh, claiming it wasn't valid, as Borky just said, because Ford wasn't a registered agent in North Carolina, and the contract did not include a warning that was required by a state law designed to protect amateur athletes from unscrupulous agents. Uh, Ford and Prime Sports Marketing sued Williamson, CAA, which is one of the biggest agencies that's out there, and two of its employees in the Florida court, alleging that CAA interfered with Prime Sports' deal with Williamson and that he breached their five-year contract. The only hesitation I have to go right along with you, Borky, is the fact that he's going to be sitting... This is going to happen under oath. Whether he actually is sitting on a witness stand in a court of law having to answer questions or not, eh, that may be a little bit of a long shot. But... The discovery portion of this, where Ford and Prime Sports Marketing and their attorneys are going to submit questions, I mean, that's an affidavit. You, you've got to sign that off as being true and legal, and it's under oath, just like you were sitting on the stand. Now, the difference is you can have lawyers help you craft the answers and the responses, and you can answer them very carefully versus you're just sitting up there on an island all by yourself and you're expected to get all the answers right. And it's not just getting them right. You're supposed to be truthful in answering them whether you answer the questions the right way or not. Does that change anything? If he's under oath and if he lies, could potentially be popped with perjury charges? You just plead the fifth, don't you? That, doesn't, that wouldn't work, would it? Because you're not incriminating yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not against the that. law to take benefits, so you can't. I don't think that you have that protection. I could be wrong, but I, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but that, that's what makes the most sense to me. Rippy, you're at least related to a lawyer. Did you pay attention to any conversations around the dinner table as a kid? I don't think that would hold up. Because, like, how does that apply as much in civil litigation in general? But again, not yeah. a lawyer here, but I don't think that, like,. Like, oh. It's not incriminating him from breaking a law, so I, I kind of agree with Hayden. I don't think that would hold up. Shows we'll how much I know about the Fifth Amendment and, and if, law stuff. I just, I like, I read this and everybody thinks it's a big deal. I just, there's no possible way because everybody and their brother knows the dude got paid to go to Duke, right? Like, let's not sugarcoat it, but um, the likelihood of that being tied up with Nike is extremely high, and Nike is a current sponsor of his. You think he's going to roll over? On Nike, who gave him, what, a $75 million contract? And their biggest basketball sponsee in college hoops, you think he's going to roll over on them? I just, there, to me, there is no possible way that dude will sit somewhere and openly admit that Nike gave him and his family money to steer him to Duke. I just, there's, there's a 0% chance in my mind that that actually happens. So taking the Fifth Amendment refers to a person's invocation of his or her Fifth Amendment right under the U.S. Constitution to refuse to give statements that could be used against the speaker in a criminal proceeding 
And this is not a criminal proceeding, it's a civil proceeding. So, I, look, it, it would take a constitutional scholar or an attorney to, you know, completely clear up whether or not there's a scenario where a Fifth Amendment right can be used in a civil proceeding, but that's what this is. It's not criminal, because to your point a second ago, taking money from an agent or receiving inducements from third parties to go to a particular school or to try to persuade you to go to a particular school is not illegal. It is against NCAA rules, but it is not illegal. The only way, I mean, to, to your point about Duke just a second ago, the only way this comes back on Duke is if Zion Williamson says, yeah, I got paid. I didn't just get paid by Duke. I got paid by Duke and by Kansas, by Nike and by Adidas. My parents got paid. My you know, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, whatever got paid so that we could go and play ball at Duke. And if he says that under oath, then maybe the NCAA wouldn't have any reason whatsoever. But here's the issue. Again, Borky, going back to, is he just going to sit up there on the stand? He needs to say that he didn't take money from Duke or any other schools and was an eligible athlete was eligible by NCAA standards so that we can then say or or they can then say that this agent acted nefariously like if he comes clean and goes yeah I got a bunch of money from Duke I mean do we really know for sure that they're going to drop the lawsuit or is that just going to kind of prove that yeah see he can't get out of this contract it does. I mean, saying in, a, saying in a press release like this uh, Gina Ford lady did that we'll drop the lawsuit if he admits to taking money, I don't believe that on its surface. I, I, if I were Zion Williamson and his attorneys, it? I'd have to have that part of it in writing. <laughs> uh, like what Rusty and Greenville says, what, I mean, what is stopping him from simply pulling the Cam Newton thing? Not saying it's an ongoing investigation with a smile on your face, but um, I don't recall. Does that Cam Newton's does, wasn't in a court of law, was it? I, it was just a, a joking comparison. What's like is I don't recall over and over and over again not enough to to end all of this. Probably, I mean, how are they going to prove that you can recall? I don't know. I will say this, Borky, if you're right, maybe there's some other people in this state that need to listen to what you're saying <laughs> because. Feels like we're going to go down that road at some point, maybe 20 years from now. Ask Jackie Sherrill, but just saying. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, Borky. I was actually reading through that story again by Mark Schleyball right as we uh, as we came on the uh, as we came on the air. Am I crazy though I mean, for thinking that there is a zero percent chance that he rolls over on Duke and, and gives them away, and that anything actually happens to the uh, squeaky clean Mike Shashevsky? Feels unlikely. Zero percent might be a little bit of a stretch, but I, I would not put that percentage as uh, particularly high. But again, not because necessarily he feels this great loyalty to Duke and Coach K, but he needs to be able to say that he was eligible in the time that it was Duke so that he can get out of this agreement and can move forward in life with CAA and not have to fork over tens of millions of dollars, regardless of what they're actually asking for, to Gina Ford and Prime Sport. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. One you thought you'd see there. Question. And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes. What songs? I took his glass of champagne. 
do you only have to hear three or four notes to with no words and you immediately know what the song is Star Spangled Banner happy birthday <laughs> dun, 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 dun. okay I got it just a dun, small dun, town girl okay I got it yeah, there's quite a few for Rippy the Soviet national anthem no, but I mean that's one of the ones, right? So, so yep. friends in low places, you hear, dun, 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 dun. you know exactly what it is. I feel like it's the bottom of the eighth at Diddy Noble. Is that when they play? They play friends in low mm -hmm. places in the bottom of the eighth mm -hmm. at baseball there. Mm -hmm. Okay, what did I miss just then? I couldn't hear. Nothing, comrade. Which so part? I heard Soviet. Oh, uh, hey, Dad was just uh, pointing out the fact that you could hear the first three notes of the Soviet National Anthem and immediately knew what the song was. Technically, that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, semantics. Semantics. M Mother Russia and whatnot? The, the song still exists, it's just the, the country doesn't. I mean, Sweet Home Alabama is obviously one of them. That would be one, yeah. The Stairway to there's there might be just a touch of confusion with Sweet Home Alabama and that Kid Rock song where you kind of ripped off the beginning of Sweet Home Alabama. All Summer Long, is that the name of it? We get a good one uh, here from Russell. Is it Vanilla Ice or is it Queen? That's a question. Yeah. That's a good question. Is it Under Pressure or is it Ice Ice Baby? you got to really Queen, be listening. You know we will rock you like one second in, basically. Uh, somebody says Simple Man. That's uh, Richard. Says that Simple Man is one. Yeah, that's a really recognizable opening. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, Rock and Roll All Night, Detroit Rock City. Detroit Rock City's got a great intro. Yeah. Uh, Ray and Picayune says Hell's Bells. Yup. Yeah, for sure. Tim and Chula goes yeah. with Jack and Diane. I think so, yeah. Uh, somebody says, put on Jeezy. Maybe only Rippy and Borky would understand. No, put on by Jeezy. Oh. <laughs> I, I just read that quickly. My bad. <laughs> I mean, you do turn 40 this year, so. Yeah. Yes, I do. I knew what it was. I think, I, I think we, um, I think we illustrated the point, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Tim from Belmont says Little Pink Houses. Aaron goes to Sweet Home, Alabama. Somebody suggests American Girl. Huey and Raymond says Eye of the Tiger. Yes. Uh, Lucas in Union. Jake Mangum on line one. Your love. Yeah, that's a good one. Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. You could play the whole song and I wouldn't know what that is. I don't know that one. Uh, Whipping Post, that's another good one. Classic Almond Brothers. Like half this of ACDC songs in general. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Same thing with The Who. The Who has the best intros, like, across the board of any band ever. Yeah, but the intro for Teenage Wasteland's too long. <laughs> Just a little, like a minute and a half too long. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, the intro to Baba O'Reilly 
more colloquially known as Teenage Wasteland is a little too long. It's long enough that the Lakers used it as a pregame intro for a long time. I don't know that they still do. Uh, Lonnie says Purple Haze. Uh, we get a submission. Linda goes with Dixie. She's not wrong. Layla, you would Jimmy recognize Dixie Bird. after yep. three notes, wouldn't you, hey, Dad? My eye would twitch involuntarily. But the question is yes or no. Yes, Yes, I would absolutely recognize it. Jeremy and Hamilton goes with Loser by Beck. Uh, Bob with a good one, and I agree with this one. Inner Sandman. You could play just the first note that is played in that song. One note. And that's all you need. We need need to get a a game of name that tune going. We, we, We can bet for it. Smoke on the water? Yep. Right. Yes. Immediately. Quinn with We Built This City. Okay, so I, I'm not sure I... <laughs> I don't know. What are you laughing about? Hey, Dad hates that song. That's why he says it. I'm a huge fan of that song. There was one day I played it three intros in a row just to piss Hey, Dad off. Uh, language? All right, so here's a question, though. This suggestion says Purple Rain by Prince. Are you sure if you're not a massive Prince fan, if you're like a mainstream, like you like Prince's music, but you're not a massive Prince fan, are you sure that you would recognize Purple Rain three, four, five notes in? I don't know. That, that, that wouldn't be the first Prince song I think people would recognize. I'm pulling it up right now. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Slow ride. Oh, here, here we go. From Patrick. Okay. First three notes are from very beginning of, of uh, Purple Rain. Yeah. See, people aren't going to know that that's Purple Rain right off the off the. Yeah. And I mean, that's like ten notes already. Yeah. Now, if you hang with it, there's no question. There may or may not be video of me singing this at the bar, the corporation in New Orleans. It may or may not exist. So that means it does exist. Who do I need to ask to find said video? Who is with you? A lot of guys. I was at a bachelor party. That was our, <laughs> that's our day drinking stop in the Big Easy. Big Easy. Get a text here that says Benny and the Jets. One note. Yep. That's probably. Yeah. All you got to hear is that bump. And you know it? Yeah. For sure. Suggestion for Layla. Sorry, yeah. I know this went off the rails a little bit. Ah, but no, just play. What do we care? What are you talking about? So, so, so go back game? to where this yeah, go go back to where this segment began. Uh began began. Begin. Where this segment began, let's uh all right, so go back to where this segment began with friends in low places and hit and hit go, if we can. You want me to, to play that right yes. now? Yeah, yeah, that's play that's where this is how this whole thing started. Okay, give me one second. Boy. Uh, no, see, I'm, I, I thought that You're was making easy. him work. No, yeah, that is not, uh, you know, I can't do it right away. Okay. But here uh, we go. Welcome to the jungle. Yes. Sweet child of mine would be one. Yeah, see, yeah. How, could you, two notes is enough, right? If you heard, yeah. Two, two. I, I don't know if you could do it with one, but I think two notes does it. 
Was that the Garth Brooks version or somebody else? This is. It was the uh, original studio version. Yeah. He huh. looks very skinny in this picture. Doesn't quite fill out the Wranglers. <laughs> Times have changed since this was taken. <laughs> Did you see the... Um, I went down to YouTube, Jesse's Girl. Okay, That's a good choice. Crazy Train. That's a good choice. Yeah. I guess they're a bunch. Yeah. That's probably that's a, a measure thing. of how iconic a song is. Yeah. Now, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole uh, one night, was looking at different concert stuff, and uh, so Justin Timberlake, JT, if you prefer, was doing a show in Nashville. <laughs> As Richard knows him by, JT. Yeah. Uh, and he brought Garth Brooks on the stage to do like a duet version of Friends in Low Places. It's amazing how crazy people go over things that are just kind of like, okay. Like, generally speaking, JT fans at a concert are like, ah, anyway. And then when you bring Garth Brooks on stage in Nashville with JT, kind of goes crazy. I think this might be the winner, though. It wasn't everybody's first choice, but I think this is the one where all you need is one note and you know right away. All right. That's it. That's all you need, and you know that's Benny and the Jets. Yeah. (laughs) Bob Selender going with Take My Breath Away, the Dirty Dancing (laughs) fanatic. By Berlin? What? (laughs) Come on, Bob. Patrick and Tuplo says, thank goodness you never hear anything by Michael Bolton. I celebrate his entire catalog. (laughs) Ron and Columbus. One note. good reference. Hotel California. Maybe. One? I don't know. I bet Gary's answer to this is hilarious, by the way. That's the first question. So, so Scary Gary will join us with our uh, NASCAR. He is our NASCAR aficionado. That's the official Make brand. Make this the poll question, Borky, so we can get the uh, people answering. We'll see what song Gary can name with just one note. Name that tune, Sports Talk Mississippi. Bye. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Right now in Studio X, just across the glass from Michael Borky, is our NASCAR aficionado, Scary Gary. Gary, what's up? Not much, y'all. Hi. How did I uh, fall in behind the the one note or less function there. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it just happens. So you you remember the uh, you remember the game show name that tune, don't you? Sure. All right. What's the what's the one song for you? Because see, we we got a ton of great suggestions. But what I originally said was, what's the song that if you hear three or four notes, you immediately know what it is. Welcome to because we jungle. had a ton of people that said if you hear one note. You can know what it is, and I think that's overstating. Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. So, Welcome to the Jungle. Only one note, and you know what that song is. Right. The first Borky, scre- can we the test that out? The first scream. Yep, give me one second. Okay. 
while uh, while Michael Borky is pulling that up, um, what's shaking in uh, NASCAR behind, besides a whole lot of racing? Oh man, we had a big weekend of uh, Bristol, Bristol, Tennessee, and uh, Sunday we had uh, the Cup race, and of course Chase Elliott and <laughs> the eighteen come down to the end of the race, and Chase and eighteen of Kyle Busch are uh, racing for the racing for the uh, finish. I mean, this is it's the end of the race. And they're trying both to win it. And let's just say they touched and crashed each other out. And hmm. Brad Keselowski slipped in and stole another one. So that's two that Brad has slipped up and, and been in the right place when things happen, and he wins. So he won it. And, of course, it was uh, one of those racing deals, as usual. But it's funny how the 18 and the 9 have become, like, rivalries on the track. I mean, if one's there, the other one's right behind them. But they were both going for the win. I mean, neither one of them have won. So, I mean, Chase has won. But uh, they were just trying to go for it. And, of course, they they wasn't hot like they were at Charlotte because that was, that was basically coming to the checkered flag. But uh, it was a good race all in all. It was kind of weird start. They had a bunch of crazy, just crazy wrecks and had a red flag and had to clean up the track. And then last night was a Really good little uh, Xfinity race, and um, one of the youngsters, oh, I can't think of his name because all these young kids are coming up now, but he won, held on, and uh, finished out the race. But it's it's been real interesting to watch him come in there and be able to just, just hit the track wide open and no practice or anything. And everybody's been doing really pretty good, but it's still it's not having the practice to know what what you need to do and what, you know, how the cars go drive is kind of like that unknown on the first lap. But with Bristol, everybody pretty much knew what they were going to be and what was going to be like. But this weekend, we move on to Atlanta, and that ought to be real interesting because that's a mile and a half, and it's a fast, fast track. But um, it's just been it's been entertaining. What's the track I mean, length at Bristol? A quarter of a mile, 5.33 miles. I mean, it's it's okay. it's like I mean, you've heard this. Sterling Marlin said it back in the '90s. The best way to describe Bristol is flying jet fighters in a gymnasium. Because I mean, you do get, drivers like that track? Yeah and no. I mean, it's a real it's highly physical on your body. Because I mean, you're pulling you're pulling lateral G's, which is making your head rack back and forth, and your whole body. I mean, this track is really demanding on the body. I mean, it's it's it, JT and I did it on the old track before they reconfigured to what it is now. When this is the Coliseum now, but they were building the Coliseum when we were there. And let's just say, in in two stints of twenty five laps, you get out of the car and it's. I mean, you haven't even gone a, a fourth of a way, and you get out and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I had muscles in that place in my body because you're sore everywhere. Because yeah, because you're holding yourself in the seat. And it's those curves, I mean, they're even steeper than Talladega. I mean, you almost can't – I mean, if you're if you're in a vehicle, you got to keep a minimum speed to keep from sliding down the track. It's so steep. But it is it is what it is. I mean, Clinton out here in Jackson, Mississippi, they used to have a track that was like a baby Bristol. And, of course, they right. had, you know, great racing there and all. And, of course, the city of Clinton – encroached and that the racetrack had to go because of the noise and the dust and beer sales and all but that was that was in the 70s and all but i mean bristol is a 
one was of, it in that order that it had to go? The noise, the dust, and the beer sales, or was it maybe a different order that caused it to well, be? Well, it was. I think it out? was kind of like the uh, noise and the uh, beer sales was the two okay. things that, that finally got it. But uh, it was a. Uh, it was an All interesting. Right, hold time. on. Okay. So, so take me back to when you and JT were behind the wheel. You did the driving experience at Bristol. Right. We know that you two are the, the two biggest NASCAR guys, the biggest NASCAR fans in our company. And, and I don't think that's even debatable. Right. Um, who was the better driver, you or JT? Well, they, they didn't really keep our time. They wouldn't tell us our times. or No, or no. Like stop that. being technical. Tell well, me who I mean, the better driver was, you or JT. I didn't, JT was I didn't say better faster. the first time. Well, I mean, JT was better on the first the first run, and the second run, I got to make an extra couple of laps that didn't count because somebody wouldn't get off the track in time, and I got to go real slow, and that gave me real perspective of what the track was. Well, when we took off again, I had a lot better run and almost passed the guy that I had to follow that I had such a good run, and I picked Would it you up have gotten in trouble for passing him? Yes. They were like, follow the guy. He will pick you up as you need to go. Well... Let's just say I got a big run and running straight up beside him and let off, and then he took off again, and I chased after him. But it's really fun. I mean, it's it, you don't realize how hard you're actually driving that car because when you're up in that turn, you, you don't see nothing but the curve. And when you come out of that curve and it drops off to 12 degrees, the illusion of the wall jumping out three foot at you, it, it took it took a couple of laps to get kind of orientated to that. Plus, all the the track logo signs around the track was like somebody had a hand beside you with a blinder, and they were waving at you as you were driving by because hmm. all the stuff's going by. It was just an experience that I'd never had before. And, you know, we got in the cars, and they picked us up as we went, and I mean, there was only one person that broke a hundred in the class. They said, but they wouldn't tell us who it was, times or nothing. It was just. Do you think it was you? N- no, I don't think so. There was a couple of folks who's done it a few more times than us. But it was a, uh, it was really a fun, fun trip, and I mean, it opened up our eyes. And of uh, course, all right. But in real time, do you think, without question, you're going a hundred, hundred and fifty miles an hour? No, we were probably doing in the nineties. I mean, we had okay. we had tires that are had been basically run through a heat cycle a thousand times and were hard as bricks and they had two barrel carburetors on them so you're not running good rubber on the track and you're not running a four barrel carburetor that gives you the full kick of you know when you step off into it it really goes but still it was it was you get the experience of driving a race car and these were old race cars i mean to tell you how old it was the first time i went out i had to drive an oldsmobile and oldsmobile hadn't been racing in Jeez, the 90s? They quit hmm. making cars, and they got out of racing. Well, the second time, I got to drive a Rusty Wallace number 2 Miller Lite car. And I could see out of the windshield I was sitting lower, and I did a lot better in it because I could just see where I was going. But it was it was really fun. JT got to drive the Miller car both times, and uh, we got a video of it, and it was fun. I mean, <laughs> kind of like kind of like a... Uh, I think the words were uttered. This is this is kind of like sex the first time. You love what you're doing, but you don't know what you're doing. So it was just kind of like you feel yourself feeling along. But it was it was fun. I mean, if, if anybody gets a chance, I, I had to draw that picture for you there. <laughs> I think you drew it with crayons, not a pencil. <laughs> no, we All right, Gary, I got one. a dumb question. That d- Dumb question. Borky, can that be marked for a uh, promo? Yeah, I think so. 
join us uh, join us weekly for uh, Scary Gary's NASCAR Happy Hour, our local NASCAR aficionado, and then boom. Uh, so so here's a dumb question, Gary. I drive a Ford F one fifty. I mean, you've seen it before, right? Could I drive it around the track at Bristol? Yes. After the after we got there with the driving school, we drove around the track in JT's truck, and I hung out the ca- uh, the window with the camera and just shot pictures flat as we went around the track to see to give an idea of how steep the banks were and all. But it, yeah, you can drive around it. I mean, they don't let folks drive around it. if you go up there. I wanted to go drive it. They ain't gonna let you. But we were already inside the track. And, they said if y'all want to make a lap or two around the track, not speeding and just drive around, you can before you leave. So we did. And, of hmm. course, that trip sparred nine years of track talk that we used to do years ago. Started that up on the way back because we, we were enthused about, you know, wanting to do something. And this is back in the 90s. And so we did it for nine years. And then, of course, everything changed when Sprint got it. And it kind of worked us out of it because you couldn't get credentials anymore. You wasn't affiliated with Sprint or, you know, the companies that were over it. And we just kind of quit doing it. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, you know, we did dirt track and NASCAR and did that for nine years. But it, it turned into something. I mean, we went up there just to have fun and come back. Well, we spent nine yeah. years doing racing show. There we go. Sports Talk Mississippi. More with Scary Gary, our NASCAR aficionado, after a uh, quick timeout. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday. We'll be right back. Hey, Gary, don't let it ever be said that people are not listening to every single word you say. We had a bunch of people on the C Spire text line. By the way, that number 601-879-4395, C Spire, customer-inspired, and also a couple of emails that pointed out that it was not Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch that got tangled up at the end of that race, but rather it was Joey Logano and Chase Elliott. Okay, well, uh, the 18 was involved, too. He didn't finish as well as he wanted to. Yeah, you could, could be. I mean, it's been a couple of days. <laughs> I mean, look, but it's, I mean, Chase was going for it, and Joey yeah. was there. I mean, it was it was Joey and eighteen and and the two. I mean, they were all jailbreaking out at the end. I mean, it was just the end of the race. Oh, I wasn't going to correct you. It was just our oh, listeners. I understand. Hey, look, every I, bit as locked I, I in as look, you. I come in here naked with no notes. I mean, you know, easy. <laughs> After what you said a minute ago, let's uh, let's not paint that picture. Okay, but oh, I got another song for you. Wish you were here. By Pink Floyd. Okay. It's a good one. So, but no, I'm a, I mean, back to NASCAR. Right, question. Qu- qu- <laughs> yes, Thank you for the correction. NASCAR. Only one time this year, going back to uh, February at Daytona, has the race winner in the Cup Series been the person who began the race in the pole position. And that was Sunday night or Sunday afternoon at Bristol. That was Brad Keselowski who had the pole and won the race. Right. Why is that? It's very hard to win from the pole unless you have a very, very good car the entire race. And things change a lot with these cars as a race goes on. I mean, it it loosens up, it tightens up. It, it It changes as the weather changes during the day and night. The cooler it gets, the more grip it's got. I mean, the cars change, so, you know, you've got to be on 
on top of your changes before the track actually dictates what you've got to do. So uh, Brad was just, he was in the right place at the right time, and he he pulled one out again. I mean, he did it He did it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, just being in the right place at the right time when the wreck happens, I mean, you're in the right place to get by, and boom, you win on the last so lap. So would you... Re- would you, if I said going into a race, let's let's just make you a cup driver for a second. Hey Gary, you can be in the pole position, or you can be somewhere else in the pack to start the race. Which would you prefer? If I had a good car, I you could start at the rear and still win. I mean this this has happened before. I mean there's been people that's been you know put from the front to the back, and it, by the end of the race they win the race because they get through. They just managed to get their way back up to the front. I mean, it's it's so many unknowns because I mean, you've got to keep you got to keep your fenders on it, you got to keep the tires under it. I mean, you got to keep the motor in it, of course. And it's you got to you got to maintain what you have and not use it up to a point that it's used up. It's like the other night they were talking about tires. You know, the tire fall-off really wasn't as bad as, as it was in the early part of the race because the track started taking rubber. Well, you know, once the track starts taking rubber, your tire wear changes. Well, then you're uh, – they can change these cars by a half a pound of air in a tire. I mean, it, come on now. Who would think a half a pound of air in a tire would change the handling characteristics of a car or truck? But on these cars, they do. They're that sensitive. I mean, it's it's – the cars are totally adjustable. I mean, you can't yeah. go, you can't take your truck and adjust the, you know, the rear end spring rate or the ride of it and all that by just a twist of a bolt or two. You got to change stuff out to make it on a standard vehicle. But on these race vehicles, they they make they build adjustability into the vehicle so that they can adjust on it while they're racing. I mean, that's that's how it's always been done. Is yeah. you adapt to what the tracks give you all right let me ask you this this is uh the schedule that's coming up and this is where we'll wrap things up today uh sunday afternoon at two central they're at atlanta wednesday night they are at martinsville the following sunday down in miami at homestead then they get a full week off before they head to talladega six day break and then back-to-back days at pocono and then the indy 500 or excuse me the uh, brickyard nascar brickyard at, at indianapolis motor speedway of those races, which are you most looking forward to over the course of the next month? Talladega. Okay. I mean, it's just it's high speed chess at two hundred miles an hour, and it's just, I mean, yeah, it's boring to watch them just ride around, and but at two hundred miles an hour, man, they are, I mean, they are rolling it, and of course, you know, Indy's fast, but it's a flat track. They don't they don't get the high speeds like they do at Talladega. Atlanta will be fast. I mean, it's a it's a high bank, high speed racetrack also. But I mean, it's it's hard to say. I would say that probably Talladega would be the most exciting of the three, or four. When are we going to have fans back in the stands? Probably, hopefully by August, maybe. I mean, if so, you if don't think it'll happen at Talladega in June? No, I mean, you, where would they put a hundred and something thousand folks? <laughs> You know, and, and social yep. distance everybody and, and be able to see the race. I mean, yeah, it's a two-and-a-half-mile racetrack. It's a big place. But still, 100,000 folks on race day, there's folks everywhere. I mean, outside, inside the track, 
all over the place. So, all right, my man, we got to go. You're the best. Hey, man, y'all have a good one. You Thank- as well. That's Scary Gary, our NASCAR lunch happy hour. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour on this Tuesday afternoon, June 2nd. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app. For all Mississippians experiencing symptoms, learn more at cspirehealth.com. Hey, Dad, Rippy, from uh, from you guys, uh, we are maybe getting a little bit closer to having actual news as it pertains to sports and as it pertains to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Any uh, any reports or reactions to kind of the check-in process getting started uh, yesterday as uh, players started making their way back onto campus? I know up here not everybody made it back for day one, but a lot of guys are here, including KJ Costello. He's finally on campus. You know, he wasn't going to be here until summer anyway, but he is now officially here. Um, beyond that, you know, there, there appeared to have not been any hiccups. You know, there was definitely a little difference in that it wasn't just "Hey, welcome back." It was "Hey, welcome back. Let's go take a test right now," and then they're doing all that. But from what I can tell, everything's sort of moving pretty smoothly. Rippy, anything on the Ole Miss side of things? Uh, what was the question? Sorry, I, I dropped there for a second. Yeah, just any reactions or anything that you've been able to gather from kind of first day back, getting things started as uh, this process begins. I think we're having some issues with. Yeah, I think we're having some is- issues with uh, Rippy's connection today. So, um, Ole Miss Sports Productions did put out, uh, I guess, a short video yesterday that showed guys kind of coming in and getting temperatures taken and social distancing and kind of going through all of that process. And, you know, hey, I guess it probably makes sense that that's what we're going to see across the country. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see videos and updates like that from just about everybody as they come in. And part of that is, you know, first off, all those video departments are starved for content right now. They'll put out just about anything. But secondly, you know, they're going to want to show people. fans are starved to see that content. To watch it, yeah. But at the same time, you know, they're going to want to show, hey, we're doing things the right way. Here's the guys. We're testing them. You know, no worries. Yeah. Rippy, you back with us? Yeah. Anything on the Ole Miss front in terms of how things went yesterday beyond just the video that uh, that they put out? I, I talked to somebody in the sports medicine department said, really went even smoother than they anticipated it was going to. Yeah, I didn't really hear of any hiccups, so it sounds like it went pretty smoothly. All right. Um, Borky, why don't you you put the poll question out there? All right. I don't remember what I wrote. It is today, are you okay? I love this so much. Are you okay... With the head of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, making $2.7 million in annual salary. Hey, Dad, yes or no? I'm not much for telling people that they can't make money. Uh, You know, I mean, if that's what the market dictates he's worth, sure, I don't have a problem with that. Rippy? 
I think we lost repeat again. Um, I would be okay with Mark Emmert making twice that amount if I thought he were really good at his job. And hey, Dad, like you, I, I, I just don't begrudge people making large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. If you have risen to a point in your profession where you, you said that very well, the market dictates you should be paid at that rate. I mean, there's a Roger Goodell does not make thirty million dollars a year because the owners just are dying to pay him thirty million dollars a year. Right. He makes thirty million a year because. In the eyes of the owners, that's what he's worth. He has earned that. And so it makes sense to pay him that. I I don't know what Adam Silver makes or Rob Manfred makes or Gary Bettman makes. I mean, I'm obviously all well into the millions. Uh, So, yeah, I don't have a problem with the leader of an organization the size of the NCAA making almost $3 million a year or maybe more than $3 million a year when it's all said and done. But I expect you to be good at your job. And he's not. He doesn't. What does the SEC director of officiating make? Because then I might be able to jump on board with you. Yeah. I I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) I do not know the answer to that. (laughs) I mean, look, when when you look around and you've got conference commissioners of the the Power Five schools that are making, what, million, million and a half, two million, two and a half million in the case of, of Larry Scott? It's not out of line at all for for the president of the NCAA to be making three million dollars a year. You got to earn that money. You 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 need to be paid that. I'm sorry, not you need to be paid that. You you need to justify making that type of money. And a guy who is a lightning rod for criticism, which sometimes that just goes with the territory. I mean, Roger Goodell is a lightning rod for criticism as well. But he absolutely produces for the owners. 100% without question. You can like him. You can not like him. If you look at the books of uh, the NFL owners, which nobody ever gets to do, they are extremely pleased with their balance sheets. Meanwhile, Mark Emmert, oversaw the ridiculous amount of spending to fight the O'Bannon lawsuit, uh, basically zeroed out the NCAA's rainy day fund as a result, and then when the NCAA tournament was canceled, had an insurance policy that only covered a fraction of the $700 million they would have generated from that, almost a billion dollars they would have generated from that, and had no backup reserves to help offset the loss that schools are now facing. Seems to be tone deaf just about every time he opens his mouth and inspires confidence in a grand total of no one. So yes, I have zero problem with that position paying that. Or that position paying twice that amount. No problem whatsoever. But you can't be a complete doofus. I think that's the word I've assigned for uh, Mark Emmert. And deserve to be paid that. On one hand, the the Goodell thing's a really good uh, comparison because everybody hates Goodell, but let's be honest here. The NFL puts on an extremely good product, makes a ton of money, $50 million a year seems like seems like an insane amount of money, but when he manages a multi-billion dollar league that is wildly successful, um, 
that that comes with the territory. So he's managing the NCAA, a huge operation that puts on a billion-dollar basketball tournament every year. So it could command that kind of salary. But on the other hand, I, I keep thinking it might be something like, like somebody that runs a nonprofit. Because isn't that kind of what the NCAA is supposed to be? It, they're not supposed to be a corporation. The NFL, their their number one goal is to make money, not to put on games in fairness for student-athletes. It is to make money. That's the NFL's stated goal. It's a business. The NCAA is a little bit different, right? Because it's supposed to be uh, legislating fair and equal competition for amateurs. And so if that is what the stated goal is, shouldn't the person that runs that not be making millions of dollars on the backs of people that are not allowed to. So I, I'm, I'm conflicted because it's a huge operation, a lot of money to manage. They make, on the, the one tournament alone, a billion dollars a year. But on the other hand, that's not your. it's not supposed to be a moneymaker. It's not a business. It is an organization that is supposed to, again, create fair competition for amateur athletes. So why are you making $2.7 million to manage amateur athletics that is not supposed to be capitalistic making money? Yeah, but you still got to run the organization like a business. I know. That's why I'm, I'm conflicted. On one hand, it, it kind of is, but on the yeah. other, it's just that's not what it's supposed to be. I think about our friend uh, Robert St. John and his, his charity Extra Table. And he talks about how you know there is no they're not spending a whole ton of salary money on on you know directors and this that, and other and that's a, the case for a lot of charities where a lot of the money you give to charity goes to pay for their board of directors and everything else. So the same thing here with the NCAA, you know. Yeah, but it's not a charity; be, it's a not for profit organization. There's a difference. I mean, I agree with that, but then again, it's not for profit. So where where are these salaries coming from if there's no profit? I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I see. I. I agree that. Well, the money that comes money. in is being distributed. I mean, it's not enough of it, apparently. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with what Borky's saying, but I also think that Emmert. I don't have a problem with his salary at the same time, but I. I, I see Borky's where he's coming from. Look, I. Eh, let's circle back to this in a second. I, I'm not sure I can encapsulate what I'm trying to say in 20 seconds. We'll take a quick timeout. Oh, Ryan Brown joins us next from uh, Jocks in Birmingham. We'll do that, and then we'll circle back to this topic. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Farm Bureau phone line, favorites.com. That's the website where you can go to get a quote. If you can save some money on your car insurance, your home insurance, or certainly if you bundle the coverage together, you'll be able to save. Plus, you're dealing with local agents, all 82 counties in Mississippi with a Farm Bureau office. Again, favorites.com and go with the home team. Ryan Brown, who almost feels like he's part of our home team, he's kind enough to uh, join us once again. Uh, part of uh, the Jocks Radio family in Birmingham on the radio from 6 to 10 every morning. What's up, my friend? Richard, I'm pretty good, man. How are you? Great. Are, are yeah. things starting to feel where you are in and around Birmingham and the suburbs of Birmingham like, yeah, COVID-19 is still out there, 
and we've still got to be careful, but this feels a whole lot closer to normal than we did just, I don't know, three weeks, a month ago? Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, as restaurants started opening back and, um, you know, schools around here have had uh, graduations. In fact, there's several of them that are having graduations tonight. Um, some of the churches, not all of them, have started to open back up. Um, football, high school players have reported for football practice uh, here in the state of Alabama. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a little bit it has. It, it's been weird. It, it, in a way, it feels like we've been in summer vacation forever because my kids have been home for almost three months now. But my uh, teenage daughter reminded me last night that the time they've been off from school up until last night basically was the length of their normal summer vacation, and they still had their normal summer vacation left. So uh, that that has been kind of weird, but I, I guess as normal as it has felt in probably three months, yeah, that's that's probably what we got right now. If your daughter's anything like my kids, as long as she's got something to do or friends to play with, the idea of a six-month summer vacation is kind of like the greatest thing ever. But the second that they're like sitting around with us, it's like, mm, school might not be such a bad thing. Yeah, she didn't hate it, um, but she is uh, she's on the dance line uh, at school, and ah. she's just kind of excited to get that stuff started. And keeps asking me, you know, for updates on like football season and things like that. Are there going to be games? And I don't know that she entirely cares about the games, but cares more about you know is she going to be able to go dance? So. Um, yeah, but by and large, she, her social calendar has stayed full. So, you know, once, once everything started to open back up, uh, so did her social calendar. She's 15. We test drove some cars actually today. She turned 16 in September. So as her social nice. calendar fills, that means my wife and I, um, we, we get to Uber everywhere. So that, that's, that's kind of the deal there. Very good. Very good. Um, so I talked with Keith Carter on Friday. Uh, the athletics director at Ole Miss, and mm-hmm. you know he, you know proper caveats in place, but said he expects that Ole Miss is going to be. He believes that Ole Miss is going to be playing football in Houston, Texas, against Baylor on Labor Day weekend. Have you talked with Greg Byrne, with Alan Green, people from Auburn and Alabama that have given you the kind of the same sentiment? You know, Greg Byrne has been more on the record of. Uh, about it than Alan Green, only because Alabama plays USC, and there has been that question about, you know, is USC going to play? Is it going to be in Dallas? You know, Auburn opens against Alcorn State at home, so Alan Green hasn't really been asked as much about it. Now, he, you know, when asked, he has been very positive and optimistic, but, you know, Greg Byrne has continued to say, he 100% expects to play USC and expects to play them in Dallas, and you know, I did see where the state of Texas, is. I was unclear on um, if it's all sporting events, just professional sporting events, but they're allowing at this moment 25% so uh, of, of attendance. So I would think by the time Ole Miss is ready to play Baylor and Alabama's ready to play USC, assuming things don't go the bad way, they go the good way, you would have to think, Richard, that at that time you could have 50 to 75% of, of attendance there perhaps even. So... Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, with Alabama playing USC at Jerry World, even under the best circumstances, I don't think that game sells out. I, yeah. I'd have to go back and look. You know, Alabama's played Wisconsin there, USC there, and Michigan there. I don't know if any of those games have filled Jerry World. Um, so, you know, you've, you've, if you have 50% of the crowd there, that's just about probably all that would be there for those games anyway. So, um, you, you know, I, 
I, th- I think we're to the point now where it's even beyond Alabama and USC actually playing. They may actually play with fans in the stands at this point, unless, unless something turns for the worse. I mean, you look at Ole Miss and uh, and Baylor. They're playing at what NRG Stadium in uh, in Houston, where the capacity is seventy two thousand. I mean, I would think, yeah. especially given kind of the circumstances surrounding it, if Ole Miss took fifteen thousand fans and Baylor took, I don't know, twenty five thirty thousand fans. Yeah, you're at forty five fifty thousand, two thirds of the stadium. Probably what it would have been, kind of regardless. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I, I just don't know that those games were going to fill those two stadiums. It's not really their design anyway. Their design, obviously, is, is for a television product. Sure. Um, so, so, yeah, if it if it's limited to 50,000, I, I don't know that many more people than that were going to go. So, Or 50%, not 50,000. But if it's limited to 50%, I don't know that many more people than that were going to go anyway. So, you know, if you told me today that Ole Miss and Baylor played and Alabama and USC played in those two stadiums, and both stadiums had 50% of their capacity there, I would have said, uh, based on where we were in March, that is about as big a victory as I could have imagined at that point. Okay, but that brings us to the question of home stadiums. So going back to that conversation I had with Keith, I thought these numbers were pretty sobering. He said if the SEC allows us to operate at 50% capacity, that costs us $10 million. If it allows us to operate at 25% capacity, it costs us $19 million. And he said when those numbers were presented to him by the CFO of the Athletics Department, the head of the foundation, he looked at it and he said, what do you want me to do with this? Which is a yeah. reaction that I would expect all ADs would have. Ole Miss has a smaller stadium than either Auburn or Alabama, so those numbers in those two athletics departments, I would think, would be even larger than they are uh, at Ole Miss. I, I say all that to say... You think we're going to have fans in the stand in the stands in Oxford, Tuscaloosa, Starkville, Auburn, Gainesville, et cetera? Boy, those numbers are crazy. So aren't they staggering? I don't have the, yeah, they really are. I, I did You know, I know TV dollars make up so much. You know, it's really that's obviously the biggest revenue stream. But boy, those numbers are huge. And like you said, in bigger stadiums, those numbers are bigger. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wish I did, but I think last year Alabama's football program, this sounds crazy, but I think they profited the football program now, $45 million, okay? And I could be off on that number. But now that $45 million is the football profit, uh, is the, program, the profit of the football program. The basketball program was the only other program that profited money. Maybe it was twenty five million because the basketball program profited like forty five thousand. <laughs> so hmm. all of a sudden, that that football profit it, it, it has got to fund a lot of other sports. And if you start to take away eighteen twenty million from that, um, there, there I don't know if there is an athletics program in America that operates with a game this year. I, I guess everybody just loses money. And I mean, there's no way to make that money up. How, how do you make that money up? You can't. I mean, it's either. People buy tickets and come to the game, or they don't. It's not like you say, well, we lost the revenue there. We can make it up here. ESPN and CBS aren't going to say, you know what? We feel bad for you. Let us cut you another $20 million check, Ole Miss. That's not going to happen. So, Yeah, I mean, just, the, the only way you make long. it up is if Jeff Bezos decides he's a fan of your program and strokes a check for yeah. $45 yeah. million. Yeah, those, those guys aren't on every street corner. So I, I, don't, I don't know – I, I, I do think it shows you when you wonder where the lines are going to be drawn, who does or does not get tickets. 
I think you just answered the question. I think you probably need to look check your right to the university every year, and if it's big enough, you're getting tickets. If it's not, you're probably going to watch them from the couch. I'll be honest with you, Ryan. It makes me think that stadiums are largely going to be open. I, I just think that's where we're headed with this. Yeah, I mean... is going to be open. And now, I mean, universities are going to have to be careful. They're going to have to say, look, you you got to take on some personal responsibility. If you think this is a bad environment for you, we need you to stay at home. You, you, but you've got yeah. to make that decision for yourself. We're not going to make it for you. I think it's realistic to say, okay, let's look where we were in February and March and where everybody thought we would be in June, on June 2nd. And now let's look where realistically we are on June 2nd. It doesn't look like a lot of people thought it was going to. Now, you know, you can argue, well, those were bad models, or you can argue, well, no, you know, we took the necessary steps, or whatever the case is, we're not where a lot of people thought we were going to be. So it's, it's reasonable to say by the first week of September, we could be even better than we imagine now to the point where it could be 100,000 people. And it's reasonable to think that if there is a spike in this, you know, a minor spike, that our reaction then is, you know, if, if you're in a low-risk category, you go on with your life. If you're in a high-risk category because of age or your immunity, your immune system, you, you, you stay home. And, you know, we just operate life that way. So I don't, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to think that at some point, if not the entire season, you could have a full football stadium. And I will say this. You know, Memorial Day was supposed to be this big litmus test, and I know we've, we've got to get a few weeks past it to see what Memorial Day was like, but there's not a spike from that. I think it's reasonable to say that you, you could safely operate with a fairly full, if not entirely full, football stadium. Yeah. Always appreciate your time, Ryan. Thanks for the insight, my friend. All right, buddy. You take care. Appreciate Ryan Brown joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Birmingham, co-host of the Jocks Roundtable, morning 6 to 10 on WJOX. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We were having some connection issues with Brian Scott Rippey, so he will not be with us for the remainder of the show uh, this afternoon. This is the story that Ryan Brown was referencing uh, just uh, a few minutes ago, and it came at the end of last week. This was May 28th, so four days ago, five days ago. Texas will soon allow outdoor pro sports events to have spectators, but the numbers will be strictly limited under a new order last Thursday from Governor Greg Abbott. He revised a decision to let pro sports leagues host events without fans starting in June as part of the state's move to reopen amid the coronavirus pandemic. The new order allows outdoor stadiums to host fans up to 25% of their normal capacity. This is for outdoor stadiums only. Indoor events will still be without spectators. And interestingly enough, this doesn't, although they're not playing right now anyway, doesn't really apply or impact the Texas Rangers or the Houston Astros because both stadiums have retractable roofs and are therefore not considered to be outdoor venues. Shouldn't they be considered outdoor venues when the roofs are open? You would think so. Yeah. Anyway. So, PGA Tour, June 11th through the 14th at Colonial, uh, is, at least as we know so far, still going to be without fans. 
You've got a big event coming up at uh, Texas Motor Speedway for IndyCar. That is this weekend. Uh, the track president said that they are going to continue to go with no fans, primarily just because they don't have time to get everything in place they need to. You've got to apply to the state health department to be able to host fans and talk about all the procedures that you've got in place to protect people and whatnot. And they said, you know, with this short of notice. But going forward, professional sports events in the state of Texas that are outdoors can have 25% fans. This is professional sports only. It's not college sports. I wonder how this could potentially affect that college baseball tournament that is scheduled to be played in Texas later this month. I don't know. Um, Maybe... Maybe you could have fans in attendance. Maybe, maybe so. My, my, it's certainly not my biggest fear. A fear I have is Memorial Day weekend and the crowds you saw at some places from that, and then all of this uh, that's been going on. I wonder if. It, it's not a fear actually, because what if all this happens? You had Memorial Day weekend where a lot of people gathered, a lot of places, and then. Uh, it's very clear that in major cities all over the country, there are people gathering by, at times, the thousands, very close proximity to each other. If we don't see a spike in 10 to 14 days, do you think, even though the circumstances would be, it, it, piggybacking off of that, the circumstances would be kind of weird if you say, hey, we didn't have a spike two weeks after the massive uh, protests and riots, therefore we can have fans in the stands again, but... Do you think that they're monitoring that? Because if we have, if there's no major spike in two weeks after all of these people gathered very closely together by the thousands in major cities all over the country, maybe that means something. Here's the thing. There's going to be a spike as long as it is not an overwhelming wave then that is information that public officials need it, health officials need it. I mean, you've got local governments who are saying, well, you know, we had said we were going to kind of get things going back again around June 1st, but we just had Memorial Day, and let's kind of see what the number... It's just... Hmm. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to say something that people are going to misconstrue, but... We're about to bring thousands upon thousands of college students back to campus campuses all over the country summer vacations are happening beaches are open interaction is happening restrictions on outdoor pools in the state of mississippi have been lifted so that the capacity numbers are i mean my kids spent four hours swimming and playing with other kids today interaction is happening inevitably there are going to be some more covid19 cases but unless we just get this tidal wave, open everything up. Get rid of face masks. Let people go back to work. Let them start traveling again. Because what we're going to get this fall is inevitable. There are going to be cases that pop up. Why would you not get people back into routines of being around others so that you prepare yourself for that? Does what I'm saying make any sense at all? What, why, would, why would you hold off until, well, we know it's going to be bad when college campuses get full again. 
we got to keep everybody pinned in as long as we can to get ready for that. No, it's not what you do. You get people back in the swing of things and moving in the right direction. Does that make any sense at all? Especially, in, you mentioned masks off. I, for whatever it's worth, um, I, I still wear one when I, I go places just because. I, I don't know if it's helping me or not. And the likelihood of me, a 28-year-old who's relatively healthy, I mean, I, I exercise daily, um, don't have any health conditions that I know of. I rarely get sick. Uh, the likelihood of it affecting me is, is minimal. I, I mean, next to nothing, even if I get it. Um, but I still do just because, I guess. And it's probably just me being a sheep or whatever, but I still do it. At least a lot of people are still being more conscious about like you saw, Gary, after he got done in the studio, wiped the, everything down. Little things like that that people are going to continue to do even once everything is open again. I guess in this state, everything's open, right? I know some local municipalities have uh, created their own rules, which is fine. Uh, that's the beauty of our government and the way it's set up. But by and large, you can go anywhere now and do kind of whatever you want. I still notice people are being, myself included, like, I'm still wearing a mask. There are people that are still conscious about wiping stuff down, washing their hands more, not touching their face, even if everything's open again, hopefully. And from my observation, you still have people that are doing necessary things to at least try to mitigate the, the spread of it, even though everything's open again. Yeah, I mean, you're being respectful of others. And there are people that say, well, you, you wearing a mask is how you're respectful of others. Well... And part of it is my, my wife works very closely with her two elderly grandparents, and the circumstances of them getting it versus me are extremely different. Okay, so, so yes, Borky, yes, 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 yes. So you personally feel that there's a need for you to wear a mask? Good. Do it. I'm free, right? Don't I can judge do it. me if I don't do it, though. I'm not. No, I know you're not. That, that was very... That was very, in general, it wasn't yeah. you, it was collective. But but the idea that you don't care about other people if you're not wearing a mask is just ridiculous. Somebody says you, you still need to protect others. Well then, again, if you find yourself in an event where you're more at risk, then you've got to take more precautions individually. Josh in Tupelo says, until all this happened, I never realized how much I touched my face. I yeah. do it probably a hundred times a day. Yep. I had no idea. But that's the point. I've seen a lot of people point out now and ask the question, if you're playing football in the fall, why not let people go to the stadiums because at some point, don't you have to assume your own risk? Like me, for example, I don't know. Uh, honestly, 100%. I don't know if I would go to a stadium right away, not because of my health, but again, because my, my wife works almost daily with her two elderly grandparents, one of which has an underlying health condition. So maybe I would avoid it, but that's a choice that I'm allowed to make. And if you are, if you do have an underlying health condition, nobody says you have to go to games anymore. Or if you're close to somebody that is, there are ways that you can be cautious and let people make their own decisions for themselves and their own safety.
Philip says, if your city ordinance, as in some parts of Europe, requires to uh, requires you to mask in public, will you? I mean, for example, where I live, in Oxford, you don't have to wear a mask in public, but you do have to wear a mask when you enter a business. You have to wear a mask when you enter a restaurant, but then you can take it off when you sit down. And, yeah, I mean, I've cooperated with that. I mean, there are ordinances in place that say you have to do that. I just think people are weary of the mask thing. And, and uh, I mean, I've... Dr. Dobbs at the state health department says we need to be wearing masks. There are also reports out there that the masks don't really do much good. And, I mean, we immediately get the, uh, they're not designed to help you, and so you don't give it to somebody else. Sports Talk Mississippi. Kind of. Streaming at Supertalk.fm. I was just FM. about to say kind of. Be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at Supertalk.fm. Borky, you raised a question as we were coming out of the break. Yeah, so if these schools in franchises and whatnot are worried, and I've seen a lot of people suggest that the only reason why they're not letting fans in the stands is for liability. They don't want to get a lawsuit if somebody catches it, but then how do they avoid, I mean, anything else, including disease spreading, that happens inside of their stadiums already? You know all that small print on the back of your ticket? So why is... COVID-19 not covered under that umbrella. I think it will be. Yeah, I think if you, you're going to start seeing some some additions to some disclaimers uh, this fall on the back of your ticket or whatever. They have to it make is. the tickets bigger. Yeah. Well, let's go like Ole Miss and just you know click here for terms of terms and you agree to these terms and they could just have I, anything. I agree. In there. Click and then you get click. It, yeah. yeah. Then you end up as part of a human centipede. You don't want to be part of that. See, that's why I think the NFL, because isn't it different with them in college football as far as being able to say, hey, guys, screw it. We're a business. We're going to make money. If you don't like it, you know, write your column. We don't care. But isn't college football a little bit more sensitive to that considering that it is on a college campus and it's non-professionals? Or am I overthinking that? Because if it's You're that simple, it. if they can just – Include no, it's the not disclaimer. That simple. I mean, you you've got to have, like, right now. The state of Mississippi does not allow gatherings of that size. Like you're you're capped at, what a hundred people for outdoor sports events right now, in, in the state of Mississippi. But that's on June second, right? If there's no longer a cap on the size of outdoor gatherings. Thanks to the state of Mississippi, then the schools will be able to say this is a, you know, at your own risk proposition. Just like they say right now. And please, please okay, don't, you got to hear what I'm saying here. Don't hear what you want to hear. Because I'm not being, it's the same thing as the flu guy. However, people go to, Sporting events all the time, sick. All the time. 
you are in venues with people who are sick all the time and you are exposing yourself to germs you are taking the risk that you might get the flu from somebody else that has the flu at a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game in the same way that you might get the stomach virus or other things I get that this is more serious but you're still taking on risk Michael and Jackson says I'm 65 have heart disease and wear a mask I appreciate when others wear one also and besides let's try to knock this virus down to a minimum so when it does come back we won't have to shut down our economy again Michael, I, I like the way that you phrased that, where you said you appreciate when others wear one as well. And I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming if you were wildly offended by or you thought others were terrible people for not doing it, that's the language you would have used instead of saying, I appreciate it when other people wear a mask. I was at the Mississippi State Capitol today. Lawmakers and politicians have forgotten about social distancing. Definitely not following the governor's executive order. And nobody is. Nobody is! I mean, you still got some folks that are elbow bumping as opposed to full-on shaking hands and bro-hugging. That's about the limit of the social distancing that's going on, at least as I've experienced it over the last couple of weeks. Is it different where you guys are? Borky, you're in Jackson, Madison. Hey, Dad, you're in Starkville. I mean, I really haven't been that many places. The couple times I've been out to eat, you know, it's been the, uh, you know, they, they're separating people a lot more. There's, you know, they're tables in between tables and things of that nature. When I've been to the grocery store, I may have fist bumped. I don't know about elbow bump, but you know, I've been trying to, I've purposely tried to avoid shaking hands as much, but yeah, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Anyway. The baseball news might not be as good as we wanted it to be yesterday, at least if you believe what they are reporting at The Athletic. Eh, if you're a glass-half-full guy, then you say that they've gotten closer in terms of negotiating and they're still going to figure out a way to get some things done. we got the college football fix coming your way in just a bit. Then we will also take a look at this updated story from Major League Baseball, get to your text messages on the C Spire text line, and more. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Some of you make me laugh on the C Spire text line. It's open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. At Seaspire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspire cares. Scott, 
in my opinion, at this point, wearing a mask is like bringing prophylactics to the baby shower. <laughs> hey, Dad, you didn't even chuckle on that. That's all right. They didn't amuse you? It's, it's okay. Uh, David says, don't worry about being concerned, but be very concerned about worrying. Why would you not want to wear a mask if we can get sports back? I'm so over this whole mask thing and having to wear one to pacify others. Hal says, see y'all at the grocery store. Okay. Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Gave you the number for the C Spire text line. Again, it's 601-879-4395. You can also hit us up on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Ford, when they were called on to build things like masks and ventilators and shields, they did it, and now they are here to serve you. Great deals on the entire lineup of Ford cars, trucks, and SUVs. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Dublin no more. We thought we were going to kick off the season. Perfect an opportunity to say, Dublin or nothing. Ah, well, that's not true, though, because it is neither doubling, uh, Dublin nor nothing. Just saying. Or something like that. Uh, so Dublin is no more for what was going to be a really cool way to start the college football season, a week zero game in Dublin, Ireland, featuring the Naval Academy and Notre Dame from Aviva Stadium with... College game day originating from Ireland. That was going to be a pretty neat way to start the season. Game is still going to be played, but it's going to be played in Annapolis on the campus of the Naval Academy for the first time in the history of this rivalry? Call it a rivalry? Oft-played match? They played 93 games. I think you can at least Series. Yeah. There you go. So uh, this will be the 94th meeting between Navy and Notre Dame. Only time midshipmen have met the fire at, uh, Fighting Irish on their home field. Now, they've hosted quote-unquote home games before, but they've happened in what M&T Stadium in Baltimore or in Philadelphia or in other places. San Diego so, most recently, I believe. Oh, yeah. Literally across the country. I know it's a big Navy town there, but still. So the original location game billed as the 2020 Erlingus College Football Classic was scheduled August 29th at Aviva Stadium in Dublin, but obstacles surrounding travel amid the coronavirus pandemic forced the move back to the United States. It will now be played over Labor Day weekend. Navy and Notre Dame, game being played Saturday or Sunday and televised nationally by ESPN or ABC, according to several sources close to the decision. Did you have a doubleheader on Sunday with Navy and Notre Dame in the afternoon and then Ole Miss and Baylor at night or vice versa? 
have a ooh, who would be the night game? If you're a network, what would you prefer? The probably the biggest fan eh, that's a stretch. One of the biggest fan bases in college football and the Naval Academy or Ole Miss and Baylor. Which game would you prefer? Notre Dame. Yeah. And ESPN doesn't get Notre Dame a ton. Yeah, Notre Dame fan base is going to be, at worst, equal to Baylor and Ole Miss combined, I would think. Yeah. Probably even bigger. Those They're everywhere. A lot of Catholics in the world. <laughs> yes. Yes, there are. Um, so, I mean, unless... Unless ESPN, ABC, oh, I mean, maybe it's different networks too. Maybe one's on ESPN and one's on ABC. But unless they look at that and go, you know what, we're going to have a big audience for a night game when it's a standalone game on the opening weekend of college football season, regardless, let's drive more people into that afternoon time slot. I mean, I, I suppose they could look at it that way. Uh, I don't know. So we'll see. It's going to be an awesome scene, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, it'd be fantastic. Assuming we're playing in playing it in a full stadium, right? Right. That's the hope. Naval Academy explored the possibility of moving this year's game to Baltimore. However, the likelihood that attendance will be limited made the need for a 71,000-seat stadium unnecessary. A decision regarding how many fans will be <clears throat> excuse me will be allowed into Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium for the game be made later this summer, though attendance will be limited to far less than capacity. That's what they're saying. So we may not get the scene that you would have gotten otherwise. So it's what they're saying now. Yeah. yeah. Have you talked to anyone, hey, Dad, you know, on the administrative side, leadership side at Mississippi State that gives you an idea of what they're thinking in terms of attendance and what it's going to look like? No, I haven't talked to anybody since the early days of this, and, and when, even when I did, it was more about uh, it was from a marketing standpoint. How do you try to you know keep people engaged and selling tickets and things of that nature? Um, need to get John Cohen either on this show or maybe on Thunder and Lightning podcast to to see you know get some ideas of what what's going on through through everybody's heads right now. Yeah, Navy hosted Notre Dame at Municipal Stadium in Baltimore thirteen times in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, served as site of the annual meeting nine times between 1932 and 1952. In recent years, Navy's home games against Notre Dame have been played at San Diego County Credit Union Stadium, uh, Everbank Field in Jacksonville, that was in 2016, FedEx Field in Landover, obviously right outside of D.C. in 2014, MetLife Stadium in 2010. So they've played this game a bunch of different times but never on campus. My assumption is Navy does that because they know there's going to be a massive crowd wherever they play this game, and it's a revenue opportunity for their athletics department. That That's probably one part of the equation, and the other part of the equation is Notre Dame probably dictates where the game is played. Yeah. To some degree. Like they, they can strong arm that a little bit, I imagine. Yeah, I would think so. But I also think because that relationship goes back so far, and it's it's a long-standing series, then um, 
I think there's some probably some pretty good communication and some mutual respect there. Navy, I mean, for what, the last 15 years probably, and then Army lately, their stories and how they're able to compete in college football, is it's remarkable and hard to believe if you really think about how they have to build a roster. Because it's not like Vanderbilt competing with the SEC. I mean, yeah, they don't really care about football. Their facilities kind of suck, but it's a little bit tougher to get into Vanderbilt. But it's not finding somebody that's willing to have something to do. And it usually involves your first year somebody yelling at you from 5 a.m. to about 10.30 at night. You, You can't have a social life like other college students do. You can't do anything. And after you're done, you have to go serve in the military. They get all of those kids who have to be like the best of the best of the best, you have to get a senator, isn't that right? A state senator to uh, write you a recommendation yeah. letter to even apply to go to school there, and they build a roster that beats people regularly in football. It's incredible. And you know, Navy's kind of in the class of the service academies. By the way, the all-time series, Notre Dame leads 77-13 to with one tie. 43-game winning streak in there. Notre Dame beat Navy every year from 1964, or at least every time they played, from 1964 until 2006. 2007, though, began a little bit of a, uh, little bit of a trend in the other direction as Navy won three out of four. They won in 07, 09, and 10. Uh, Notre Dame has uh, won three in a row, and uh, five, six, eight of the last nine overall against Navy. So we'll be watching, just not during week zero. It will be in week one, Labor Day weekend, Notre Dame and Navy. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. News for one particular player on the Auburn roster. Jayshon Sheffield arrested on May 9th in Georgia on one count of disorderly conduct. Exactly one week later, on May 16th, Jayshon Sheffield, or Jashawn Sheffield, once again arrested, this time on the charge of DUI less safe. Both charges are misdemeanors. By the way, in the state of Georgia, the charge DUI less safe can be charged if law enforcement officers believe a driver is less safe behind the wheel because of alcohol consumption, even if that person is under the specific blood alcohol content threshold. I'm not sure that I've ever heard of that charge before. Never heard that at all. Seems like a good lawyer could argue against that too, right? It's a law. But, yeah, your point's a good one. So, Sheffield was a four-star recruit, part of the Auburn 2019 class, 28th uh, 28th ranked player out of the state of Georgia, Played in the Under Armour All-America game. Appeared in one game. <clears throat> excuse me. Last year as a true freshman. No catches. Had a couple of carries for 30 yards. Gets the red shirt because he only played in one game last year. And will not be part of the players returning to campus to begin workouts voluntarily next Monday. That's 
combination of bad luck and bad decision making to get arrested twice in a week. If you've got the two of those, life generally doesn't go well for you. What, the combination of making bad decisions and having bad luck? Yeah. <laughs> kind of fighting an uphill battle with those. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, two Marshall football players who returned to campus have tested positive for COVID-19. On Monday, Marshall announced that three individuals, two student-athletes and one university employee, tested positive for coronavirus. Subsequently reported that the two student-athletes are Marshall football players. None of the three cases apparently are related. All three asymptomatic. None of the names being released by the university. Marshall's guidelines are not terribly difficult or different than anybody else. Although they're a little bit different, all student-athletes arriving on campus are in mandatory self-isolation for a week. Following the completion of the self-isolation period, students are tested for COVID-19 and must return a confirmed negative result before being allowed out of self-isolation. All athletic department employees who come in close contact with student-athletes are being tested. And any student-athlete returning a positive test is required to quarantine and follow positive test guidelines any student-athlete who tests positive will be required to secure a negative test before completing the quarantine period. Marshall Athletics Director said, It shows that what you're doing is working. If a positive comes up, we've caught it. We can quarantine them. Everyone else was negative. What we set out to do with our testing is working. I think that's the positive thing about it. You want to know that's why you test. I think, generally speaking, that's how schools are going to approach this. Seems like it's the most logical, right? I mean, I've seen so many different uh, columns or think pieces, whatever, about, well, here's the big question. What happens if somebody tests positive? And I assume they're talking about, like, during the season, but still, it seems like the answer is a very easy one. It's, if it does happen during the season and you test the whole team and there's like 15 positives, then you've got a problem. But if you have a a single player that tests positive for this and then you do the very expensive rounds of testing your team and it's just a couple, him and a couple more guys, you quarantine them and you push on. Because that's why football allows you to have rosters of 85 guys because you lose a few throughout the season. It's a very physical and violent game and people get hurt. And that's how you treat it. I don't understand why that question is such a difficult one to answer. Maybe I'm missing something, but I think it's two different conversations. What happens if a player tests positive, and what happens if a couple dozen players test positive? But if that's the question, Marshall gave you the answer, and hopefully everybody else is going about it that way too, because if it's one player, you treat it like he sprained his ankle. He's out for a couple weeks. When he's clear, you bring him back, and you push on. Because that's what would have happened if he had any other ailment that kept him out for a couple weeks. Yeah. David says, how do you self-isolate on campus? Play Fortnite and order dominoes? It's kind of what they're doing already anyway. (laughs) You know, it doesn't sound so bad. I I saw it was a, a... like a Zoom call, I guess is what they are, with Donovan Mitchell after he tested positive and they shut him down. And he was like, yeah, man, basically I'm just eating and playing video games. 
That doesn't sound yeah. so bad. We were social isolating before it was cool back in Sesame's Hall in 1994. <laughs> You've been ahead of the curve for a while. If he had said uh, mad instead of Fortnite, yeah. Let's see here. Um, lawyer here. DUI less safe seems like horrible legislation that legislators just can't vote against. Okay. How about this from Aaron and Meridian? Six hardest schools to get into in the United States. Number one, Harvard. Number two, Stanford. Number three, Navy. Number four, Columbia. Five is Juilliard, and six is Yale. Wow. So you got Harvard. All those are Ivy League schools, too. (laughs) Are we doing that again? (laughs) (laughs) I would venture to guess, and this is just a guess. I'm sure I could look it up and find the numbers. Uh, I don't feel like it. But um, that Navy probably has, with their acceptance rate still being up on that level, there are fewer people that think or have the mentality to want to go to a place like Navy. I mean, it's not just being smart and having good grades to get into Navy. You have to be a very special person and physically want to go through the demands of that place. So I imagine their applicant pool is probably more geared towards them, whereas like I know people that applied to Harvard that had absolutely no business even trying, but they did anyway. I mean, maybe there's something to that, too, that they're up there on that level, and yet they still have a certain sect of people that apply for their school. See if I can get a quick answer on uh, Google in terms of number of applicants for um, Naval Academy. I don't know. We'll look and see what that's like. That's just a but, guess, but 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 I I think Borky, the thing is, you you can't even apply un, until you have that recommendation letter from one of the legislators from your state, can you? I don't think so. I had a, a high school teammate of mine that played wide receiver at uh, at Army, and he used to talk about how he needed, like he had his meeting coming up with the senator so he could apply. Like yeah. and maybe he was just worried about it, but that was the step he claimed he was taking. You can text the show if you would like on the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Um NBA. Uh, tweets from Woj. He's appeared on SportsCenter already this afternoon. Board of Governors meeting coming on Thursday. All reports indicating that the owners are going to do, the Board of Governors is going to do whatever Adam Silver recommends. So, Borky, but before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, we, we've talked a lot about the commissioners, right? Uh, Roger right. Dell and Rob Manfred and Adam Silver. And at times, you've been a little critical of the NBA kind of taking their time on this thing and they're crowdsourcing it with GMs and sending out polls of, hey, what do you think we should do this or this? The level of respect that exists between Adam Silver and the players, Players Association specifically, but the Mm -hmm. players at large, and also with the owners, frankly, it... It's just off the charts. Yep, and that's why um, 
this week when they make that final decision? I mean, they are negotiating back and forth with the Players Association. Have you seen a single negative anything at all about the negotiations? Nobody said anything. No. The only thing you've seen is that Chris Paul and Adam Silver are working hand-in-hand to put the plan together that they're going to hand off to the Board of Governors that will be rubber-stamped. Means a lot. It's, I still think it's crazy to start at the end of July and play your NBA Finals into October, but to his credit, he's not Major League Baseball right now, and there's a reason for that. They're going 22 teams. Sounds like they're going to go 22 teams, start it up in mid-July, play last game of the Finals would be on October 12th, and then they'll start next year on Christmas Day. That's where it sounds like the NBA is headed. Half an hour remaining with you. We'll take a quick timeout. Be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi poll today was, are you okay with the head of the NCAA making $2.7 million a year? 245 votes. 73% of you say no. 27% of you say yes. Uh, Some replies that go along with this. Uh, There is making a great salary to do a big job, and there's $2.7 million a year when most people want to know exactly what it is that you have to do. So what exactly is it you would say you do here? Did I do that right, Dan? That's good. Uh, The net let's see, who is this? D. Manning says, I never concern myself with what other people make. Uh, Anthony says he makes 2.7, but they can't come up with like five more scholarships for baseball players. So it's uh, some of your reaction. Uh, Basketball is where we were before the break. Is that right? We were, yeah. I mean, they. um, it sounds like they're going to do the 22-team format, which is interesting because they've got to figure out exactly how to do that because you're not just going to play regular season games, obviously, if your entire league is not back, and 22 teams means they are not jumping uh, right into the playoffs. So if you're going to do a play, or maybe, you know, maybe it does. Maybe they do what hockey does and just they start the playoffs with a bunch of teams. doesn't feel like that was on the table with 22 teams, so how do you do it? Because if you do a play-in tournament for the 7 and 8 seed – does that not give the teams that play in that play-in tournament an advantage over who they're going to see in the first round? Because, I mean, just for fun, because it it makes me happy, let's say that New Orleans wins the play-in tournament and they get the eighth seed. That means they played a few games together. They were able to shake the rust off from coronavirus. They were playing together. They won a couple of games, and now they get the Lakers fresh off of coronavirus without having done anything. You know what I mean? So that would give New Orleans an advantage, even though they're not going to beat the Lakers no matter what. But if you were Los Angeles, wouldn't you put your hand up and say, hey, this isn't fair. They get to warm up. They get to play games. They get to gel and get their feet under them. All we're allowed to do is practice, and then boom, we're in the playoffs? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So how do they navigate this doing a play-in tournament while also giving the teams that are already in opportunity to really get their basketball legs underneath them because as people tell us all the time there's a difference between getting in shape and getting in game shape and you can't get in game shape without playing games Woj writes is the NBA models a 22 team format for the season's proposed resumption beginning July 31 in Orlando a timeline shared with the teams is the last possible date for the finals game 7 lands on October 12th 
Adam Silver is expected to have a proposal to take to a vote of the Board of Governors on Thursday. The expectation is the NBA draft and the opening of free agency would follow in sequential order in October. It's going to be a bit of a tight window, isn't it? Finals end October 12th, or thereabout. Draft, free agency, training camp, Merry Christmas basketball. This fall is going to be incredible. I mean, just The NBA and the Players Association are still discussing details on the format. There's still room for the league to maneuver on the structure of return-to-play ideas. Board of Governors requires a three-fourths passage of the 30 teams on a plan, but there's an expectation among owners that they'll fall into line and overwhelmingly approve the commissioner's recommendation. The NBA has been advancing on a plan that would include regular season, play-in, and playoff games for the 16 teams currently holding playoff position and six more teams within six games of the eighth seed. And the reason they've locked in on six games is with the number of um, they've looked at historical data. And with the number of games remaining in this year's regular season, historically no team has ever come back from more than five games back at this point of the season. So they just added one to that and said this is who will get included. There's also another These are the only teams that had a chance to get to the playoffs. And we're not going to eliminate anybody who had a chance which okay I'm fine with that makes sense everybody else happy summer so if it's just 22 teams uh, no matter what if you're not doing an even split conference to conference um, that means only Washington from the east will be an outside team getting in in the west you will have Portland New Orleans Sacramento and San Antonio and Phoenix. Hmm? Right? The math checks out there. 16 plus 6 is 22. So yeah, it would be if they do it just based on record, the East would only get one and the West would get again Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, and Phoenix. So the Hornets would be outside looking in at seven games back in the East. Bulls are eight games back. They'd be outside looking in. Knicks, yeah, whatever. And then in the uh, West, three and a half, three and a half, three and a half, four. That's Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, Suns. Suns are six back. They'd be the last team in. A lot of stars in that group. I mean, none of them are going to win a championship anyway. But, I mean, as far as having teams that actually, you know, can do something, I mean, Washington with – Beal and a healthy John Wall potentially and then I mean you know about the stars in the West Dame Lillard and McCollum in Portland and Zion in New Orleans and Sacramento's got I mean a whole team full of young stars and you've got Devin Booker and and, uh, Phoenix I mean those are some young teams with some young stars on them could give us something interesting in July David said when's the draft it'll be after the uh, after the playoffs end Ooh, so what does that do? It, that puts the college players in a bind. I know Mississippi State, one of, I mean, they already got one back, so that's a win for Mississippi State. But there are college players all over the country that do the uh, enter the draft, get a grade, decide whether or not you're going to stay, don't lose eligibility thing. I mean, 
a new season starts in October, right? Or is it November? Either way, I mean, they have to like be back on campus training for their season, and they can't wait on the draft anymore. Does that impact them at all? I wonder. If they had already moved that the original, you know, date was supposed to be June third to make your decision by they. That date is up in the air now because they don't know what the NBA is going to do. But yeah, you have to assume that it has to be done by the you know the start of the school year. So my guess is in the next month, Robert Woodard will have to make his final decision on whether or not he's going to return to Mississippi State or not. Wait, say that date one more time. The original date was June third, right? But which they've suspended. Now, They've suspended. They haven't come up with a new date yet because they were trying to wait and see what the NBA was going to do. But I mean, they they can't make it go into August or September because people <laughs> yeah. have to people have or to October. have to go to school. Yeah. So so yeah, it's gonna. I would imagine by the end of you know this month, they will have you know people are gonna have to start making decisions. Who else is left from Mississippi State now that Adu's coming back? Just, just Woodard. Perry is signed with an agent. He was he's going regardless. Hmm. Can so he defend on the perimeter? Because I know a team that really needs a, a long-bodied perimeter defender for the stretch fours in the league. He can get out there. Guy that'll come off the bench, bang a little with the big guys that can shoot, get a couple buckets. I know a team that needs that guy. You need, do you need some toughness? He can give you that. Sure. Yeah, they need that, especially defensively. God, they need We're doing Perry or Woodard? Either one. Whichever one will do it. New Orleans needs the guy to come off the bench that can guard perimeter bigs that will play physical defense because right now they don't have that at all. Hey, Dad, which of those two guys would you rather have on your team if you're in the NBA? Woodard or Perry? Woodard. I think he's a better athlete. He's a better shooter. Uh, he, but he's just as physical and can defend. Do you think it's possible that Perry has a more immediate impact but then Woodard has the better long-term career? Um, I don't know. You know, when we were watching The Last Dance, all I could think was, man, if this was basketball still, Reggie Perry would be a top-ten pick. I mean, he has a perfect old-school Carl Malone kind of power forward to score with your back to the basket, rebound, and things like that. And in today's game, I don't know that he's a good enough shooter to make a huge impact. But I think he can be a role player. Uh, he could have a, a, a good NBA career. You know, doing that, but I don't know that he can. Uh, I don't know long term if he, he's a if he can be a, a star in the NBA. Wooder, on the other hand, I think fits what NBA teams want to do a little bit more these days. Did you guys watch San Francisco Seattle last night? Monday Night Football replay from uh, just last year. No, I guess it was Game One of their two meetings. It went to overtime. Whew. Field goal to win it from Seattle at uh, as time expired in overtime. That was a good one. That was a good one. Sports Talk Mississippi. With-
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.